Mm. Let's put the mask on you first. <laughs> Let's help you. Let's breathe new life into you. And that starts with identifying the parent's underlining fears about parenting. Black women are tired. In a world that constantly demands more from Black women, I am giving Black women permission to join me in actively opting out of societal expectations that are weighing us down. The Black Women Opt Out is more than just a podcast. It's a movement towards owning our freedom, reclaiming our time, and opting in to softer expectations for ourselves. Join me, Deandra Coleman, on this transformative journey as I explore insightful conversations, practical strategies, and inspiring stories that resonate with your soul. Welcome to the Black Woman Opt Out. I am your host, Deandra Coleman. Today, we have a very special parenting strategist with us on the podcast. Her name is Helen V. Hicks, and she is a dedicated mental health professional who has spent nearly three decades making a positive impact in the field. With a deep passion for helping individuals and families navigate the complexities of mental health and parenting, she has established herself as a trusted authority in her areas of expertise. Her unwavering commitment to her clients and profession has not gone unnoticed. In 2022, she received esteem recognition from Nationwide Registries as one of the top doctors of America for mental health counseling in New Jersey. This honor speaks to her exceptional skills and contributions to the field. In 2023, Helen achieved another milestone by relaunching her self-published parenting book, The Parenting Treatment Plan. This book has garnered acclaim, receiving a five-star review from readers' favorites, a testament to her insightful guidance on parenting and family dynamics. Looking ahead, Helen aspires to reach 1% of the world population, making parenting easier, healthier, and more enjoyable for everyone. Welcome to the Black Woman Opt-Out, Helen. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Deandra. It is a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to talk about parenting with you today. Um, I think it's one of those learned skill sets that people don't think is a learned skill set. <laughs> and you know, there, there, everybody say, says there's no, um, there's no guidebook, right, for for parenting. But it seems that you've gone ahead and written one, and we'll definitely dive into that. But I am one of those parents who I, I am the mother of an almost 15 year old. He's a freshman in high school. And I am one of those parents who was like, what, what the F is happening in my life? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how to do this. You know, I feel like I'm messing up every single day. Um, the stress, the mom guilt, you know, as a single mom, there was so much that I wish I would have known. Um, when my son was born. And unfortunately, those things are kind of learned as you go on and grow in your parenting. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, how you got in specifically with the parenting um, field in counseling, and what some of your clients come to you for? Okay. 
So I'm a licensed professional counselor. I have been in the mental health field for over 25 years now. I have owned and operated my private practice for almost 15 years. Next month in October, we'll make 15 years of that. Um, I have five sons. <laughs> my, <laughs> oldest <laughs> my oldest is 29. My youngest is 12. And throughout those 29 years of experience as a mother, over half of that has been as a single mom. So I understand, you know, where parents are coming from, both as a single parent and as a partnered parent, um, and having to deal with the highs and lows of each side. Yeah. So the first 15 years of my career in mental health was predominantly focused on working with children and adolescents. Okay. And so um, I like dived headfirst into the hardest <laughs> aspect of this population. So I started with um, in group homes with children who had basically been pushed out of the system and been deemed as they're unadoptable mm. like, because of whatever extent of behavioral issues, emotional issues that they had. You know, they had been to different foster cares and homes and they had failed help failed. Right. <laughs> so that's where I started my experience in working with children, you know, it's like, this is the tough of the tough. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Wow. So I definitely developed a lot of skills very quickly um, in order to survive in that environment and just kept building and building from there and going from a very um, small population to being able to generalize these skills to larger populations and into everyday parenting. Um, and so definitely across my work, whether I'm working with children or whether I'm working with adults, mm -hmm. everybody has issues that started in childhood. Yes, 100%, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so I, as a parent, as a mom, I've always wanted to give my boys the best, mm -hmm. you know, not just the best of the world, but the best of me. Mm -hmm. um, and so within that, learning these skills and applying them and learning that being the best parent that you can possibly be and cultivating the best environment for your children to grow and learn really isn't as difficult as it seems if you know what that foundation should be. Yes. Okay. Okay. So we're going to dive into that foundation. Um, you say that you've discovered a parenting style that is highly effective. Can you tell us, like, give us the secret, sis, like what <laughs> a parenting style, please enlighten us. Okay. So this parenting approach is based off of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm. So if you're familiar, it's like a pyramid and, you know, you start at the bottom level and you work your way all the way up to the top with the first need being, um, I'm sorry, these needs are reflective of what every human being has in common. Every human being in existence has these needs. And the very bottom is food, clothing, and shelter. <laughs> <laughs> Every yeah. human being needs that. Yes. And then you move up to the next level, which is safety. 
okay? <clears throat> the third level is relationships, love, and a sense of belonging, okay? Mm -hmm. The fourth is where you're building self-esteem, self-worth, and the fifth, which is self-actualization, that's when a person becomes their very best self in that point in time of their life. Yes. Because as you know, we grow, life changes, and you got to start all over again. <laughs> so this parenting approach focuses on the second level, which is safety. And this isn't just about physical safety, because many parents are on the same page with, yes, your child should be physically safe. Sure. But what often gets overlooked is emotional safety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, looking at this hierarchy of needs, you need that safety to be 100% intact for the next level, which is building relationships. Yeah. To take place. So what I've done and repeat it and <laughs> share with other people and teach other people is if you know how to create an emotionally safe environment for your child, mm -hmm. your child is now free to invest in the relationship and therefore your child willingly engages in desired behavior that perpetuates mm. the relationship that helps them to grow and be their best selves. Mm. That's so powerful um, and so heavy at the same time because my, my first thought is that makes perfect sense. But if we as parents are not emotionally healthy, right, and we don't feel emotionally safe within our own environments, how then do we raise children who are emotionally safe? Um, and, and hence your point about all of these things starting off in childhood, right? Like I'm just now learning about attachment styles and how my attachment style is affecting my relation, like my romantic relationships as an adult. And I'm like, who knew, you know, like I had no idea. And I'm 42 years old at this point, just learning this. Um, and so, I mean, that also goes to my idea that everybody needs a therapist because you just don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah. Um, and then we jump into bringing another generation into this world and we're just repeating patterns and habits that we were taught from our parents. And so at some point it's about breaking that chain um, and, and learning something different. And that is really why I wanted to have you on with our audience today because the Black Women Opt Out is all about choosing options that are not defined by society, opting out of those societal expectations of whatever it is. And in our case today, those societal expectations of what parenting, right, or mothering, motherhood should look like, because it can be different for every person. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, Right? You, like, what is a parenting miracle? <laughs> All right. So, um, I use the term miracle one because just the word itself has a huge impact. Yeah. You know, when, peer, when people hear miracle, they're like, oh, you know. <laughs> 
But if we look at it simply, mm -hmm. the word miracle is also used to describe returning something to its rightful state, mm -hmm. such as the blind to see, the lame to walk. So when I talk to people about achieving their parenting miracle, it is about achieving what parenting is supposed to be about. Mm. It's supposed to be about enjoying your kids, enjoying this experience of these little people that you created, you know, to bring into this world and to watch them have their own unique life experience. It's supposed to be enjoyable. Yeah. So what do you say then to the parent and child who have not had an enjoyable experience, right? Whose, whose life seems to have separated them, taken them in different directions. And that is that child's life course, right? Um, and, and it, it has been hurtful and painful. What do you say to those parents and children? Okay. So to the parents first, I say, it's kind of like the, um, when you get on an airplane and they say, put the mask on you first and then help somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly my approach. Mm -hmm. Let's put the mask on you first. <laughs> Let's help you. Let's breathe new life into you. And that starts with identifying the parent's underlining fears about parenting. Mm. Mm. Okay. Because, so where I go with this is <clears throat> I believe everybody's born into this world a blank slate. You have no specific beliefs or attitudes about anything, but it's your experiences in life that now write Mm -hmm. on your slate or right on your chalkboard and they give you these ideas about who you are who you're not who you can be who you can't be what your limitations are the expectations of the world and your family like all this stuff gets written on your chalkboard and if these aren't things that you genuinely and uniquely align with mm -hmm. they form fears fears that you're not enough because you can't meet this expectation or you don't want to you know Fears that because this happened to you that you're now broken and you're incapable and you can't and all the rest of those things that weigh on people and make people believe that they are not enough mm -hmm. to give this child what they need mm -hmm. to grow and be whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I start there with, all right, let's uncover those fears because while fears can be motivating, there are also barriers. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Stop you. Right. And so I come back to you get what you focus on. And at the end of the day, after we do the work of uncovering the fears, now I want you to focus on who you actually want to be as a parent. Because mm -hmm. you get what you focus on. If you're afraid, you're going to mess up. If you're afraid, you don't know what you're doing. If you're afraid, you know, it's too hard. Like all these things, that's what you get. But let's mm -hmm. focus on the good. 
Let's focus on the fact that, hey, you are this brilliant, creative, intelligent person who is full of energy and life. And that's what you get to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I start working with parents and they start being able to release these fears, focus on the good, focus on their strengths and find those creative ways to work those strengths into their parenting rather than feeling like, oh, that's not right. I don't believe there is a right way. (laughs) It's the way that works for you and your children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So strengths-based parenting. It is strengths-based, but it's also a different twist on, you know, the traditional strength-based. Got it. Yes. Because in in my line of work, strength-based is, you know, we take the assessment, we figure out where your your strengths lie and that's what you focus on. And you don't focus on, you know, the weaknesses as much. You find somebody else to step in and handle those. But in parenting, like you really can't have somebody else step in to handle those weaknesses. Right. So you got to figure it out, sis. Like you got to figure it out. Um, that's that's so interesting. And so to to kind of build on that, then how does one figure out their unique parenting style? Um, because it's it's different for everybody. And I will tell you where I started to have an awakening around this. Um, my brother, who I say, I, I respect him so much as a parent. He and his wife, fostered children for about 10 years before they started having their own children. And now they too are the parents of five children Um, and each one with a very different personality. And he is probably one of the most patient parents that I have come across. And me with my one, I would get flustered all the time. And right. And I'm like, how do you deal with five of them? But we were having a conversation one day and I was just kind of venting around some things with my own child, you know, about some of the guilt that I feel and and, and things that were happening. And he said to me, D, he said, who told you that you need to parent this way? Right. Like we we do things we especially with parenting based on what we feel other people will how other people will judge us as a parent right so we do things because we want to make sure that somebody says oh she's a good mother right or we do things because society says this is what a parent should do or this is how a mother should be a mother should be nurturing and this and that and all of those things but that's ego he said, and I was like, man, whoa, like that's, and, and I don't even think he knows that he made that profound of an impact on me that day, because ever since then I started, I had to say, D, is this ego or is this for the best benefit? Will this benefit, my son's name is Tristan, Tristan to his ultimate good, right? Like, which one are you doing this for? So how does one find what works for them and their unique parenting style? Trial and error. I mean, it's an age old thing. And I tell this to all my clients, no matter what the subject matter is, you don't know exactly what works for you 
and how comfortable you are or aren't with something until you try it. Mm, yeah. So yeah. I'm very much into, you know what, I can give you a list of mm -hmm. things to try, but really what I want you to do is find the ones you're comfortable with. Find the ones that really mesh with you and make you feel like, whew. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Exhale. <laughs> um, so, so trial and error. However, we are meant to believe that in parenting especially, there can be no mistakes, right? Even though we make them every day, right? And I, I do the same thing. I'm like, you know, oh my God, like how much did I mess up my child today? Like that is how much therapy is this kid gonna need later on in life because I tried and I failed, right? Like, so this idea of trial and error for people, especially the parents who are more type A, which I know I definitely am, right? Like. It's like, well, I can't mess up. And then especially as a single mom, right? So now let's add layers to it. Especially as a single mom, when you're playing both mom and dad many times, um, you feel like you don't have the room to mess up. Especially when you're raising black males, right? You you've, you've truly feel like you don't have any room to mess up or get it wrong. So how does one, like the grace that you have to give yourself, where does that come in when you're in this, you know, I'm trying to figure out my parenting style, what works for me, trial and error, but then there's all of this guilt, but then there's grace that we have to give ourselves. Right. So I actually pull in some research, some, you know, theorists back from the 80s when, you know, um, behavioral health research was probably at a tight. <laughs> and researchers and theorists then found that good enough parenting is all you need. And what that means is children do not keep a mental scorecard of all the things you got right and all the things you got wrong. They hmm. don't. You just have to be right more than you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no specific margin <laughs> between those. It's like there's no recipe. But just tip the scale a little bit. That's all we're asking. Okay. Right. And it actually goes a long way with your children that if you figure out that you're wrong after the fact, apologize. Mm -hmm. Own it. Mm, that's you know right show accountability don't be that person that's like well i'm the parent i can't be wrong and then da, 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 da. i'm not saying i'm sorry don't do that because that does more harm than good yes yes but that's how we grew up especially in the black community right like that mm -hmm. and are those generational chains that i'm talking about needing to break because in the black community and i would say for for my generation and above. I think it's probably changing a little bit now as, you know, millennials are having children and understanding these things, but especially for my generation and up, um, you know, this idea of the parent is always right. 
don't talk back. Kids don't have an opinion. I'm not apologizing because I am the parent. Um, and you know, I, I can't be seen as weak to my child. If I apologize, that means that I'm weak and that they have the power now. So that type of parenting is exactly what destroys emotional safety. And that's why those relationships do not cultivate the type of relationships or the dynamics that people really want to have with their children. You know, as those children grow up, they kind of grow away from their parents and they don't want to have certain conversations with their parents because it's not safe for them to share a differing opinion. It's not safe for them to... Um, even say, you know, you're wrong. And here's evidence to prove that you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I understand, you know, where that comes from, because oddly enough, my mom was that parent who was like, I said what I said, and you better not question it. Mm -hmm. And then my dad was the one, if I presented him with a good enough argument, he'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that was my dynamic too. My dad was the one to be like, I mean, okay, did you try your best? Right? And like, yeah, dad, okay, fine, go on, right? Yes. <laughs> right. But just, I try to take things that people are familiar with and then fit them into the dynamic of emotional safety. Mm. Like you have to create that environment where it's okay for your child to come and tell you those things that you want to scream about. <laughs> yeah. Pardon the interruption, as I know this episode of the Black Woman Opt Out is fire. If you are ready to have a space of your own that nourishes your mind, body, and soul on your personal opt out journey, look no further than the design services of the Opt-Out Oasis, providing professional top-tier interior e-design services for your home, she shed, place of business, and more. It is time to embrace the space around you that will allow you to decompress from the stress and overstimulation of the world. Head to theoptoutoasis.com for more information. Now back to the podcast. Okay, so let's continue with the idea of your personal parenting style and opting out of certain things, right? So the Black woman opt out. There are women who are listening now who are really trying to figure out how they simplify their life, how they find that balance, right? And parenting is a big part of life in general. And it seems that that scale is never balanced with parenting. You're, you're, you're cooking, you're chauffeuring, you're taking to sports. You've got, you know, football games, you know, on one side of town on Saturday morning and a soccer game for your other kid on the, on the other side of town in the afternoon. Right. So how can, how can black women start deciding and figuring out the things that they want to opt out of that may not be as serious or detrimental or, or opting out of power struggles, right? Or schedules. Like how do we start figuring out what to leave behind in order to give ourselves more 
balance and what is really important to keep going. Okay. So first I want to start off by saying, if you create that emotional safe environment, there are no power struggles. Mm -hmm. Because again, your child is invested in the relationship. The child knows that you have proven that if he or she has a need, you're going to listen to that need. You're going to do your best to fulfill that need. And if for whatever reason you can't, you're still going to talk to your child about the reality of that situation and what the alternatives are. So mm -hmm. that's the first thing in regards to opting out of power struggles. Well, if you opt in to an emotionally safe environment, you automatically get rid of it. Got so it. again, my oldest is 29. Out of the 29 years that I have been a parent, I have not had a single power struggle. Wow. <laughs> wow. Let me, let me. <laughs> this, is, this is a moment. Okay. Wow. I would, man, I wish I had you 15 years ago. <laughs> I, I'm joking. I am, I am very serious because there has been some contention. And he is my child, right? And so so then I walk away from these power struggles. I'm like, the other, he is your kid. Like, you can't fault him too much, you know? But okay, I, I digress. Go ahead and continue. Okay. So another piece of opting out of power struggles is one of the things that I got used to asking myself very early on because of my earliest interactions with children professionally is asking myself, is this a safety issue and something that actually has to happen? Or is this just my preference? Because if it's just my preference, I need to consider letting that go. But if it's a safety, it's a must, like, okay, then you got to present this in a way that this isn't a choice. It's not an option. Move forward. But if it's anything outside of a safety issue, it is optional. <laughs> The, okay. Yes. Yes. That's like an aha moment for me. Yeah. So again, five sons. And one of the rules that I had for them is, hey, we do one activity at a time. Mm -hmm. I am not going to overschedule myself and be running like a chicken with my head cut off, you know, trying to get this one here and that one there and that one there and that one there. And then we're going to do this all again. Mm -mm. That doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. I already have to work hard. <laughs> hmm. So, and there's other things that I opted out of. I was like, look, I got to make sure you are fed and clothed and you have shelter. So the clothing piece that brand names are optional. Yeah. I will make sure you, you have clothes. They are appropriate. <laughs> They fit, they, they meet all the qualifications. But if you feel like you absolutely have to wear Nike, you need to go get a job. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so many parents, they feel like, oh, but that's what my kid wants. So I have to go and spend four times the amount of money to make sure that they have this label on their clothes or I got to make sure they have the latest this and the latest that. Like, I let my boys know from the beginning, look, I will make sure you have what you need. Mm -hmm. But if you feel like it has to be a certain thing, that becomes your job. Mm. 
I love that. And so let's speak to single moms for a moment, right? Because now you've brought up this idea of options versus needs or perceived needs, I will say too, right? So to that single mom, who is what I call a very single mom, you know, so there are some single moms who are not with their child's parent, but the, the dad is involved, you know, the, he's there at games and he takes them, right? So that I wouldn't say is an absent parent. It's just the parents are not together in the same household, but there are some single moms that I call very single moms who are doing it all on their own. No physical help, no financial help, no emotional help, right? And there is this tendency to overcompensate for the lack of that other parent being there. And I'm guilty of it, right? I've had conversations with my son now that he's older and can express himself a little bit more where I've had to kind of take a step back and say, you know, when he was younger, I would, I felt like I had to be both disciplinarian and soft mom. And that was hard for him to understand because he would be disciplined from me because I felt like that father figure, right, was not there to do that harder disciplining. And then I would turn around and try to comfort him. And he'd be like, well, wait a minute, Jekyll and Hyde. Like, who are you? <laughs> you know, in his young mind, he'd be like, no, you know. And so it it created these areas. And, and I am very transparent. You know, it, it, it created these this disconnect between he and I, where he could not look at me as both. And my son is a very sensitive child. And so he saw the negative. He saw the disciplinarian more than he felt or saw the nurturing mom who really cared and all of that. So how does one, like as a very single mom, how do you opt out of those things or, you know, or how do you figure out what really is a need versus what is an option in those cases? Okay. So the first thing I go to is this. You're talking about doing things out of a perception of there being a lack. There's a lack of another body. There's a lack of this. There's a lack of that. And you're doing it out of lack. And what you actually wind up doing is sending the message to your child and to yourself that you are less than. Mm. And some children will play on this. Oh, woe is me because I don't have that other parent and I'm not as good as everybody else. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you're digging a hole for yourself. So that's something that I've never approached with my sons at all. Dude is gone and he's not coming back. Mm -hmm. And you and me, and we're going to work it out. <laughs> and I never presented to them that, oh, somehow, woe is me or woe is he yeah. because somebody else isn't here or something else isn't here. Mm -hmm. This is what we have and we are going to work it to the best of our ability. Yeah. Yeah. And within that, knowing the relationship I have with my sons now I don't think they ever grew up with a sense of lack within our household. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, going outside and other people yes. wanting to point it out and say this and say that. And of course, that stirs up certain feelings when other people are like, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. but coming home and being at home, 
Yeah. Yeah. There was no sense of lack. And so I think that's something that single moms can just automatically opt out of. Stop seeing yourself as lacking. Stop seeing yourself as less than. Like, I understand it's tough. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's especially financially tough to have to raise multiple children with only one income. Like, <laughs> 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 you have to opt into a whole lot of resources and creativity. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing that I want to throw out here too is I never created that duality of oh I'm going to be nurturing mom or I'm going to be disciplinarian mom mm-hmm. you know that was never a duality for me because part of the parenting that I teach is discipline comes as a part of choices from your child mm-hmm. It's like, okay, here's the situation. It's your job as a parent to set the limits, to say, here's what's acceptable and here's what's unacceptable. Now you make the choice. Do you want to move forward with the acceptable or the unacceptable? And then once your child makes the choice, your job is to reinforce. Okay, you did the acceptable. So here's the reward that's associated with that. And rewards can just be privileges. You don't have to run to the store and get stuff. (laughs) And if they choose the other, then here's your consequence. And if they're upset, it's like, no, no, you chose that. Yes. It's not me giving it to you. It's not me doing it to you. Uh-huh. You chose it. Mm-hmm. Woo, you're, you are, ugh, you are, I feel like we can talk for forever um, because you just said a whole lot there. First of all, going back to this, this idea of lack and operating from a place of lack, um, I know, I, and again, I can only speak personally, Tristan never felt lack at home, right? He would often say, I would, I want a dad. And I want, at one point it was, I want a little brother or sister until he kept getting older. And he realized, listen, this child's not going to come out my age. Like now I don't want to be bothered with a baby in the house. Right. Um, so there was that because he would see to your point, other families, he would see, you know, my brothers, you know, and two two parent household and all the kids in one house and things of that nature. But he never wanted for anything in my house. I think it was more so me in my mind saying I could not give this child what he really wants, which he kept saying. And at one point we had to pray every night for a dad and a, and a baby brother or sister. And so it was a nightly. And if I forgot, he'd be like, oh, Ma, you forgot something. Right. So it was my own self-imposed mentality that I was not able to give him what he wanted. And so therefore I would try to overcompensate and be both. But that permission, right, to not even bring that duality, like you said, into existence. We are what we are. You know, this is our family. And it, it just, this is what it is. And families are different. And, you know, and I, and there was a book that I brought him, you know, family, sometimes families have two moms and two dads or one mom or one dad, you know, whatever. Um, but that permission to opt out of that overcompensation, to opt out of that sense of lack, to opt out of this idea that you are not giving your child the perfect life right? And I'm using air quotes because these days, like what is perfect? 
What is that perfect life? Having a two-parent household, is that perfect? You know, right. (laughs) No. Um, And so then this, 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 this idea of choices for the child. So my son and I are at the point now where I tell him, you have a choice. I can't, I can no, I am no longer in that position to make choices for you, like when you were younger. And everything that is happening now is, you know, and what your life experiences will be is based on your decisions. You are doing this. It's not me. I can't force you to make these choices anymore. And then the pushback is, oh, so you're blaming me, right? That's that teenage like pushback. Oh, so you're blaming me for my life being this way, or you're blaming me for, you know, somebody else doing this to me. And then I'm like, in my head, I'm like, well, kind of, yeah. But then out loud, you know, you don't want to say you don't want to say that to your kid because then you just, you know, kick him while he's down, right? So you know, this idea of choices and then the reinforcement is super important there because good behavior reinforced begets good behavior, right? And then the same with with the bad behavior. Um, or I'm assuming it's not reinforcement of bad behavior, but it's... Um, reinforcement of the consequence. Consequence, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to conclude today with this accomplishment that you recently said, you you republished your book, right? And so um, it's called The Parenting Treatment Plan, correct? All right. So can you talk a bit about the parenting treatment plan? And then you say that there are five steps to becoming the authority figure. Um, And then leave us with where people can get your, your book and purchase and support you. Okay, great. So, um, The authority figure is my term. And um, I had a little bit of feedback from one of my clients. She was like, I read the term authority figure. And instantly I was like, I was like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Let's stop. (laughs) Essentially, I talked before about um, creating that emotional safety. And the person who is able to create emotional safety is the authority figure. So Uh that's how these two things link. (laughs) So I found it easier to refer to the authority figure than this long drawn out explanation of the person who's creating the emotional safety. (laughs) Got it. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So, but in order to create that emotional safety and be the authority figure, you have to be consistent, nurturing, guiding, listening, and talk. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what this means is every parent out there, regardless of what current situation you are dealing with, the first thing I want you to do and master to the best of your ability is be consistent. Mm -hmm. Because consistency brings so much positive into the world of a child. Mm -hmm. Consistency decreases anxiety It allows children to master their environment and to build self-confidence and self-esteem. You know, it allows them to predict what is going to happen. (laughs) So it's very empowering for a child to be in a predictable environment. 
So it doesn't mean you have to be boring and every minute of your day is scheduled. It does not mean that at all, but it does mean when you walk through your door, what kind of parent are you showing up as? Can your child rely on you to be the same parent you were yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so consistency is number one. Nurturing, it's not in the sense that um, earlier in our discussion, you were talking about, oh, women are often, you know, depicted as having to be nurturing and, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it's not that type of nurturing, but nurturing in the sense of tuning in to what your child's needs are and then making a good effort uh -huh. to meet those needs. Again, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. Nobody is looking for perfection, mm -hmm. but you have to make a good enough effort to meet your child's needs. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like sometimes um, <clears throat> if a child is asking for a cookie, you know, they're hungry and in a child's mind, hey, I, I want what I want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I want the cookie. I don't want those green beans. <laughs> right. But as a parent, you may have to meet the need that they're hungry and they need something that is nutritious and something that is healthy for them. So it may not be in the best interest of the child to give them what they want, mm -hmm. but to focus on meeting the need that they need something nutritious that's going to sustain their body. Right. So nurturing is meeting the needs. Okay. Guiding, like guiding is teaching your child what the world is like, what the world expects of them, how they should show up in the world. And it's also discipline because mm -hmm. by nature, children do what they do. But as a parent, it's your job to then say, no, no, that's not how we do this. This isn't the right place. This isn't the right time. Like, do it this way. Yeah. Yeah. So guiding is that piece. The next part is listening. And listening comes before talking because you should listen more than you talk. <laughs> and it also comes back to the statement you said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. So if you're not approachable, if your child can't come to you and talk to you about whatever and know that you are listening, then you're never going to know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I meet some parents and I was like, oh, but my kids are talking about stuff that I don't even understand and this and that. Figure out how to listen. So I have an extreme example. My oldest son once talked to me for six hours straight. I am not lying to you. I went to the bathroom. He was outside the door talking. <laughs> <laughs> six hours straight about stuff. I cannot tell you. I, I cannot remember a single thing about that six hour talking. <laughs> wow. But I was there. Uh-huh. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. So this thing went there and that did that. Okay. Like, Children approach you at whatever place they're at. They're going to talk to you about whatever things are in the forefront of their mind. Mm -hmm. and listening opens the door 
for them to approach you about the serious stuff for you. Yeah, so true, so true. And the last part is talking. How you talk to your child will come back to you. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Sooner or later. And it's talking with respect. It's talking with truth. You know, it's being able to put the words out there that you are willing to follow through with. Mm-hmm. So here's where I go back to old saying, word is bond. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You are your word. And if your word isn't worth anything, well, neither are you. <laughs> So true. Yes. So being sure that what you put out there is stuff that you are willing and capable of following through with. Yeah. Hmm. I, so enlightening, so enlightening and broken down like this, it seems so simple, right? But I'm sure it is a practice. Like you said, it is that trial and error and forgiveness and grace. And then you get up again the next day and you do it again. Um, I am so thankful for your wisdom, all of your experience, your insight. Like I said, I wish I had you 15 years ago because life could have been much more easy and simpler. Um, But I, like so many women who listen to this podcast, are at the point in their lives where they're just like, I can't do this anymore, right? I need to opt out of some stuff. And our children are such a big part of our lives. But like you said, we have to learn how to put our air mask on first and take care of ourselves, which will then positively affect our children as well. So, Helen, please let our listeners know where they can find you. How can they get your book? Okay. So, my book, The Parenting Treatment Plan, is on Amazon. It's also on um, Nook and Kindle. So, the ebook platforms as well. Um, you can also go to my website, which is www.helenvhickscounseling.com. And it has links to my website. I mean, that is my website. It has links to the book. It has links to my online parenting course, which teaches people how to become that authority figure and how to establish that emotional safety in your home. Um, So anything that you want to know about me, you want to reach me, you want to email me is right there on my website. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the Black Women Opt Out today. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and learned a lot, as I'm hoping our audience has as well. Awesome. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much, Helen. Hey, Deandra Coleman here. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Black Women Opt Out podcast. I want to encourage you or someone that you know to apply to be a guest if you are interested in sharing your opt-out journey. We are always looking for Black women who are ready to amplify their voice and engage in meaningful dialogues that destigmatize opting out, promoting mental health, self-discovery, and challenging societal expectations. Contact us at theblackwomenoptout.com, scroll down to be a guest, 
and fill out the application there.